time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. All right, everybody bow your heads. Let's pray. We're diving into unstoppable. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you for the presence of God that is in this place. God, I thank you for such talented worship leaders, but God, not just worship leaders that are talented and gifted in music, but God, people that are truly after your heart. God, I thank you so much uh, for the opportunity that we have to just press in, God, to experience the presence of God on a weekly basis. In Jesus' name, amen. Just so you guys know, I lost the game. That's not true. Somebody told me to say that. You're talking to me. I don't lose. I don't lose. I've never lost in my life. Never lied either. All right, here we go. Hey, uh, I want to talk to you for a second because we're talking about this unstoppable as we're diving into this new series. Think about this. How many of you guys are like me and you have some kind of a fascination with what I would call the supernatural? Um... Some of you, all right. Well, for some of you, that's going to be a fascination with like aliens and UFOs. I remember in junior high, middle school for me, there was a fascination with, there was this old series that some of you guys have probably watched. It's from the 70s. It's called Left Behind. It's about the rapture. And you watch it as a little kid and it scares the crap out of you. You can't sleep for weeks and you're asking a million questions about the end times. And those kind of things enrapture you. But another part of the supernatural that really attracted me, my brother was doing this. He was collecting comic books when I was kind of growing up. So growing up, I started reading comic books. And I used to always like try to draw and create new comic books. And there was this like a, a short season, the summer before sixth grade where I desperately desired to be a comic book artist. So I went over to my Asian neighbor's house every day, and we would draw and make up comic book characters. His name was Doug Lee. His house smelled like incense all the time. It was weird. But uh, wanted to be a comic book. But we read those things all the time. I loved X-Men, like with Wolverine and, and Cyclops and Storm. I know all their names, like Logan, Jean Grey, Scott Summers, they're awesome. And then you had the Hulk, you had uh, Spider-Man. Any Spider-Man fans in here? Yeah, good. Superman, who I think is totally unfair because he has like every power. He's so strong, he can turn back time by flying around the earth. He can fly so fast, he can breathe and freeze you. He can shoot lasers out of his eyes. He can see through things. uh, It's not fair. But I loved him just because I loved those kind of things. And you know, some of you guys in here... Fellas, I'm talking to you. Like things like, you'll love to play stuff like uh, Modern Warfare. <laughs> I just heard a lady. That's unusual. But don't, don't mess with her because she'll probably kill you. Because when ladies play those games, they're crazy. Okay. Um, but we've got these fellas, you know, that are playing these games. And there's a, there's a part of playing those games that I think is like, yeah, it's a total waste of time. And people could criticize, you know, it's like, don't, you know, you're wasting your life. You're doing, you know, but there's a part of it, though, that's kind of an escape for us. That it's like there's a moment where you have this controller and you become this unstoppable 
force that just wipes people out. It kills people endlessly. And then when you die, you just come back to life again and you keep playing for hours and hours and hours. And we have men that are totally addicted to this. They're like 35 and 40 years old and it's really quite sad. But let me tell you what I think that speaks to. Not just that we need to be entertained. But I I believe that there's something inside of us, inside of you. There's a deep yearning and a deep desire in us. Why there's a fascination with the supernatural is because deep inside of us, there's a part of us that's like, I want to be unstoppable. And when I go, when I dream at night, I don't dream about me running at the pace that I can run at. I dream of me running way faster. I don't dream about me being limited to the things that I'm limited to. I dream about myself flying. It's awesome. Why wouldn't I dream about those things? Because deep inside of us, there's a part of us that's yearning for something that's unstoppable. Something that can't be contained. And there's a part of that to me which I think reflects the nature of God. Because it says in Genesis that we were created in His image. And we serve a God that is all-powerful. We serve a God that is unstoppable. We serve a God that can do all things. We serve a God who has no limits. We serve this amazing and incredible God, and we're made in His image. So there's something deep inside of us that identifies with this idea of being unstoppable. Are you with me? I mean, do you agree with me? Is that in you? I mean, we love the idea of being invincible. To walk through walls, to crush things. I mean, we love seeing that in athletics. When you have somebody like Kobe Bryant that just gets on a roll and he's unstoppable. I don't like him. Carmelo Anthony, whatever. I, I don't even like the NBA. I don't know why I said that. Boomer, Boomer Sooner, baby. Yeah, those, if you wonder about my fantasy football pick, it was my first year doing fantasy football. I just picked everybody that used to be an OU player has nothing to do with winning fantasy. It's like, oh, this guy is good. He's real good. He's better than everybody. Peterson. All right, here we go. Um, let's talk about this, though, because there is something in Scripture, and I want to walk you through a whole bunch of stories. And these stories, when I'm telling them to you, I want you to understand, because we're surrounded with television. We're surrounded with movies of things that are of impossible. I mean, we see X-Men movies. We see Spider-Man. We see Batman. We see the weird other peripheral, Fantastic Four and Silver Server. Nobody really watches those. And the Incredible Hulk ones that weren't so good. And some people saw them. But, you know, there's, there's all these things that we're constantly confronted with that are really supernatural. So we get, we get a little bit uh, desensitized to it. But I want to talk to you about some stories of people throughout history that have actually accomplished and done supernatural things because of something significant that God did in them. And I want you to pay attention and hear these stories with fresh eyes and imagine yourself and go, holy cow, like this, because what I'm telling you, this, this is stuff that actually happened. This is how God interacted with us. And there's something significant about it. I want to talk to you about what happens when the Holy Spirit fills us what happens when the holy spirit comes upon us and what you as mere mortals are capable of when god himself indwells you and fills you so let's let's talk through some stuff first i want to start in the old testament because where does the holy spirit show up on the scene if you're wondering well isn't the holy spirit just a new testament thing isn't the holy spirit something that only a few churches recognize and it's like no look the holy spirit 
was mentioned at the very beginning of Scripture. Genesis 1, verse 2. It talked about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was mentioned right away. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the earth. We have the Holy Spirit that's always present. He's been present with us since the very beginning. The Holy Spirit. Here, I'm going to start talking to you about some of the supernatural, unstoppable, crazy stuff in Scripture. In Judges chapter 6, there's a man named Gideon. Gideon is one of my favorite stories. Gideon is a guy that was a fearful man. Gideon was a guy that when, they, when God found Gideon, he was crushing uh, wheat inside of a wine press because he was in fear that they were going to get attacked and their food would be stolen. So he was in fear. He was hiding. This isn't a mighty man of God. Some of you guys that, that may feel timid, I'm talking about God visiting somebody like that and doing something supernatural. Well, he talks to Gideon. Gideon becomes this great man of war. He assembles his troop. This is in the time where Israel has no kings. So there's not a set leader. But Gideon gets empowered by the Holy Spirit. And all through the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon him. Because at that point, before Jesus came and before the New Testament began, the Holy Spirit would kind of come upon somebody, not fill them. You don't see filled with the Spirit until the New Testament. But you see the Spirit of God come upon people. And I'm going to talk to you about that from some of the guys in the Old Testament. So Gideon, regular man, full of fear because the Israelites are being oppressed. The Spirit of God comes upon him. Everybody with me? A man who's full of fear, the Spirit of God comes upon him. Listen to this, because it gets crazy. So he assembles an army, 30,000 men. 30,000 men, that's a bunch. And he goes, and he's getting ready to fight, because all these guys have been oppressing him. And here's Gideon. He assembles this big army, and he goes over. I'm going to read this to you out of Judges 7.12, because here's what God said to Gideon. He says this, the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels, which are less than the men that they have fighting, could not even be counted. They were no more counted than the sand on the seashore. That's how many people that they're facing off. And there's just 30,000, which is a number that you can count. And Gideon is bringing already a severely smaller troop to go and face off against the Amalekites. And as he's preparing to do this, God speaks to him and he says this. He says, yo, Gideon, you got too many people. You got too many people because I don't want you to go with 30,000 and people to think that somehow because you assembled this great army that your human strength overcame the Amalekites. I want the credit for this victory, not you. Everybody with me? So he, Gideon goes and he says, all right, anybody that's fearful, anybody that's one of those timid sweeties, any timid sweeties, go home. A bunch of them left. So here, I forget if 10,000 left or 20,000 left, but it cut a huge number. And then they go and he says, you got too many. So he says, those that take them and get, get everybody a drink, the people that scoop the water out and drink it with their hand while they're alert, those are my men. So he watches... Tens of thousands of people get a drink. And a lot of them get in and they start lapping water like a dog. Like just, you know, just jump. And then there's a couple men that are alert that drink. 300 men to be exact. So we went from 30,000 
to 300. Now, some of you guys have heard about the 300 movie and you think those guys are heroes? This is, this is the original 300. This is, this is for real the original 300 that went after an army that could not be counted, that outnum- their camels outnumbered the sand on the seashore. And Gideon goes, and here's his strategy because God spoke to him. Because remember, the, the Holy Spirit came upon him. The strategy is, he says, Gideon, I want you to go and I want you to hold a torch in your left hand. All right, fire, that's cool. And I want you to hold a trumpet in your right hand. Trumpets. That's not so cool. (laughs) You're talking crazy, God. Now, if I was going to attack an army that massively outnumbered me, the two things that I would think would be my strategy. One, don't let them see me. So I probably wouldn't carry a torch. And two, don't let them hear me because I've got to sneak in and start attacking them so that they don't know I'm here. But God says, hey, Gideon, with your 300 men, I want you to go and I want you to show yourself to these men and then blow a massive trumpet. That is the worst war strategy I have ever heard. I, listen to me because I'm talking about something that's remarkable. Gideon, with the spirit of God that came upon him and spoke to him and told him this strategy goes and he separates his company into groups of three, groups of a hundred and they go and they surround this massive, massive camp. Massive, massive camp. Standing with a trumpet and it's late at night and a torch that's got a little glass thing covering it going, what am I doing? Oh God. I hope you're real. And, uh, and Gideon stand there full of the Spirit of God. And he leads the charge and he says, break those jars off. They light it up and they start blowing their trumpets. And everybody in this camp, the Amalekites are sleeping. They freak out and they start killing each other. Because they're like, surely Gideon and his army is upon us. And they start fighting each other and they kill each other. Gideon wins this massive war and Israel's re- saved. Not because of his own strength, because the Spirit of God came upon him. Everybody with me? And the Spirit of God came upon Samson. And when the Spirit of God came upon Samson, listen to this. Samson, it said the Spirit of God came upon Samson because a lion jumped up in his path. And it says Samson, with his bare hands, ripped the lion apart. I'm not talking about Spider-Man, Superman. I'm talking about young men, people that actually lived in history. That something significant happened when the Spirit of God came upon them. Samson lost a bet. Because he was an idiot. And said the Spirit of God came upon him. And he went out and he killed 30 Philistines with his hands, took all their possessions and clothes to pay off his debt. And all that was, was because he just, God was just stirring the Philistines up against Samson. Later on, the Spirit of God came upon Samson. He took the jawbone of a donkey, which I don't know if I'd prefer a trumpet, took a jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand soldiers because the Spirit of God came upon him. 
The Spirit of God came upon him in his death because he just asked. He cried out, said, God, I know I've screwed up. God, I know I've abandoned you. But please, God, use me one more time. Boom, pushed the pillars over. Killed more in his death than he ever did in his life. Because the Spirit of God came upon a mere man. There's a man by the name of Saul. Some of you know him. Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, anointed by Samuel. In chapter 10, you see that Saul gets anointed. And this is kind of before he's really recognized as king. He's been anointed as king, but the people still have to kind of make him king. And people are like, who is this Saul guy? But Saul, right after he gets anointed as king, says the Spirit of God came upon him and he began to prophesy. What does prophesy mean? It means he began to proclaim what God was saying and he began to hear what God was saying and be a voice of God just hearing God and speaking it to the people. That happened. Chapter 11 says the Spirit of God came upon him. And this one's crazy because the Ammonites, they were, ch- they were attacking this little town of Jabesh. They were attacking this, and they go, and before they go and attack it, the men of Jabesh say, can we please make a treaty with you so that you don't kill us all? And so the king, who's a wicked king, the king of the Ammonites says, I'll make a treaty with you. And here's the deal. We'll give you peace if every one of your men gouges out their right eye. We'll give you peace. Otherwise, we're going to kill you. And they said, give us a week to come to terms before we agree to this treaty. Saul gets word of this. It says the Spirit of God came upon Saul. Saul does something crazy. He gets an ox and he cuts it into pieces, tons of pieces. And he says, take this all over Israel and tell every man in Israel that if he doesn't come and fight me, fight with me and fight beside me, that I will do the same to him as I did to this oxen. So guess what every man in Israel did? (laughs) Every man in Israel joined Saul and they whooped the Ammonites. But it was because the Spirit... And this was at a time... And then after that happened, all the people were like, We're ready to go! Saul, you're our king! Because he was anointed as king, but the people still hadn't put him in that place. You have Saul, another man that you see in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon him. Samuel anointed a young man, a young boy named David. We know the stories of David. We know he killed Goliath. We know that in David's kingdom, that he extended the borders of Israel ten times what the borders of Israel were under Saul. Ten times he expanded the land of what Israel's property because he conquered nation and the Spirit of God was upon him. They said Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. And I want to read you a scripture because David knew where his strength came from. David knew in Psalm 51, 10 and 11... David's crying out to God here and he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 11, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David knew that it wasn't in his own strength that he could accomplish anything. David cried out because he knew that the Holy Spirit had to be upon him for him to continue to do the things that he was doing. Let's talk about the New Testament for a minute. Because in the New Testament, it changes because Jesus hits the scene. The first kind of place that you, talk, you hear kind of this new language of being filled with the Spirit. You know something different is happening in history. You know that God is operating different. And something that was prophesied back in Isaiah that there would be a man that would prepare the way. 
You have John the Baptist being prophesied about, and Elizabeth, who was his mom, came, and when she met Mary, and Zechariah had this uh, conversation with God, and God said, look, this boy is going to be a special boy, and from the time that he is born, not my presence will come upon him, but from the time that he is born, he will be filled with the Spirit. There's new language happening. God is up to something brand new. And you see him send his son, Jesus. And you see Jesus talk in John 15, John 16, John 17 about, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's better that I go because if I go, then the Holy Spirit will be released on the earth. And every one of you as believers can now have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling and infilling you. And you can have that same power, that same authority, that same ability that all these other men throughout history have had. So in the New Testament, you see people being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see in Acts 2, the first demonstration where the disciples are up in this upper room in Acts 2. And they, the whole room begins to shake and tongues like fire begin to rest upon their head. And they begin to speak in unknown tongues. And all the people on the outside were looking going, what is going on? This is crazy. I want to read you something out of Acts 4 because these same disciples that were filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what happens in Acts 4.31. This is after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. We've been talking to you guys week after week after week about being men and women of courage. They will speak and proclaim God to your schools and to your friends and to the people that are in your sphere of influence. What is required? What is it? What's the missing element? What's the component that's needed? Because I'm telling you, it's not in your own strength. And it's not because you just need more people to do it. God will cut down the people. God cut down Gideon's army because he said, I didn't need that many. I just needed people that are submitted and surrendered that I could pour my spirit upon those people. Because when my spirit comes and fills them, They'll be filled with boldness and they'll proclaim my name with boldness. Let's talk about Saul. Many of you guys know Saul. Saul who became Paul, not the Saul of the Old Testament. Saul who became Paul. You want to talk or hear about somebody that's unstoppable? Listen to Paul's resume. Before I even get to his resume, let's, let's talk through this. Saul, who before he was Paul, was persecuting and killing Christians. He wanted to quench and stop the Spirit of God. Jesus shows up on the scene as he's on his way to Damascus to kill and murder more Christians. Jesus pops up. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul falls down and it says, Saul, who was beholding Jesus, who is so awesome, so holy, so powerful, so mighty, has conquered everything. This isn't Jesus before he went to the cross. This is Jesus who conquered all. And this is Jesus that told the disciples, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. All authority. This is that Jesus that's talking to Paul on that road. And it says that Paul is blinded by just the sheer awesomeness, which reminds me of Kung Fu Panda blinded by awesomeness and attractiveness and he's like oh he's so awesome and attractive my kids love that movie and i love it too 
But this is, this is Paul. Paul gets blinded. As he goes to Damascus, there's a man that knows of Paul. And God speaks to this man. And he says, I want you to go and pray for Saul. And the man goes, oh, I don't want to go pray for Saul. Saul's coming here to kill Christians. And, and Jesus speaks to this man. And he says, no, Saul's somebody that, I'm in, that I've anointed. And Saul is blind right now, and you need to go and pray for him. So here I want to read to you Acts nine seventeen. It says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. Remember, at this point, Christians want to stay away from Saul. So here's a man that is doing something that most Christians would not do. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was working inside of him, giving him strength and power and compassion towards this man who's been murdering Christians, was there when Stephen, the first martyr, was killed. Everybody tracking with me? This is, this is Saul who Christians want to avoid. And this man goes to Saul because the Holy Spirit came upon him and told him to do this. And listen just to the way that he greets Saul. He says, Brother Saul. That to me is something that only the power of the Holy Spirit can do in somebody anyway. This is, a mere, this is an enemy that wants nothing but to kill you, to, to put you in a stadium and have you torn to pieces by lions, to have you publicly killed and murdered, your children murdered, everybody in your family murdered, so that people know not, you want to have nothing to do with Jesus. Because if you have something to do with Jesus, this is what's going to happen to you. Saul, who's making a demonstration of Christians, this man comes and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, I mean, just so you know, I think this guy, Ananias, is one of those guys that gets a huge crown in heaven. Because he's the guy that came and he prayed for Saul to be filled with the power of God. Because you want to talk about somebody who's unstoppable? Let's talk about Paul. Because Saul became Paul, who was God's anointed person on the earth that, that spread the gospel all over, went went everywhere proclaiming God, changed all of his bad patterns of killing Christians and became somebody that converted, you know, tons and tons of the known world at that time. Here's Paul. Paul was a man that was beaten by rods more than once. Paul was a man that was whipped like Jesus multiple times. Paul was a man that had boiling oil poured all over his head. Paul was a man that was shipwrecked at sea. Paul was a man that was bitten by a poisonous snake. Paul was a man that kept enduring. Paul was a man that was stoned and left for dead. And when he got up, he went back in and proclaimed and preached the gospel in the very city that just stoned him. You want to talk about somebody that's unstoppable? Look at this. Why is he unstoppable? Because the Holy Spirit came upon him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. All that timidity, all that fear, all the nonsense went away. Because why? The Spirit of God, the living God was inside of him, empowering him and filling him up. Giving him everything that he needed. That didn't mean it wasn't hard for him. If one of you guys gets beaten with rods, you may think twice about speaking the gospel again. But not Paul, because the Spirit of God dwelled in him and he was filled with the Spirit. He was thrown in jail multiple times. And jails back then aren't like jails today where you get TVs and plasmas and three meals a day and all that stuff. That's not what was going on there. Paul was a man that continued to proclaim the gospel because God himself had indwelled him. Let's talk about Peter. Peter we saw in Scripture. 
Multiple times, Peter made a bonehead out of himself. Peter was a guy that Jesus grabbed and he said, Peter, I want you to come and follow me. Peter was like, yeah, Jesus chose me. I'm going to sit at the right hand. This guy's going to be a king. And I'm going to be next to the king. And so here's Peter just thinking, I'm, I can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be strong. I'm going to do this in my own strength. So you have situations like Peter come out of the boat and he gets, you know, and that's not Jesus saying, he's just, come on, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat and he's like, I'm walking on water. And then he starts thinking, man, I'm weak. He starts to sink. You have Peter that as Jesus is being crucified is denying Jesus three times. It says that Jesus looked at Peter in the midst of that. While, like right after he had denied him the third time, just before Jesus had told him, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no, 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 I'll never do that. Peter, who tried to do stuff in his own strength, I want you to hear me. Hear me on this, because some of you may be tempted to do the very thing that Peter tried to do. Some of you may try to proclaim the gospel and try to advance the cause of the kingdom and advance things in your own strength. And listen well, because when you do it in your own strength, you're going to fail. If Gideon and his army and the 30,000 were going to do it and then claim that it was by their own strength, God would not have the glory. If you really truly want God to have the glory and you want God to use you, then you can't do it in your own strength. So where does that strength come from? Where does it come from? The Holy Spirit. There is no substitute. There is nothing inside of you that can save the world. It is God himself that indwells you and fills you, that gives you the strength, the power, the authority, the courage that you need, the boldness, the wisdom, the ability to prophesy, the ability to heal, all those things come through the Holy Spirit. What happens to Peter after he is filled with the Holy Spirit? It happens in Acts 2, immediately after Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. This man that just denied Christ days earlier gets out on a balcony and he begins to proclaim the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God to a huge congregation of people. And it said that day, 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. Some of you guys are praying for your schools. Your schools don't have 3,000 people. Some of you guys are praying for God to use you. It can happen in a moment. A moment. You listen and you hear me. But it's not going to come out of your own strength comes because the Holy Spirit is using you and indwelling you and filling you. I want to read the last part of this because here's Peter speaking about the goodness of God. And it, so listen to this. In Acts 2 verse 37, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They're listening to Peter. Peter's proclaiming the goodness of God. And they're saying, what do we have to do to receive this? What needs to be done? You're talking about the goodness of God. And Peter's not talking as somebody that's just proclaiming something that he's heard before. This is something that Peter has tasted and seen with his own eyes. And he begins to tell the people, God is good. He's not preaching a message saying, saying, repent. Get saved. That's not the message he's speaking. What he's coming out of his mouth is the goodness of God. That's significant. 
Because I believe the way God wants to see people get saved is through us continuing to experience the goodness of God, to see and taste it, and then to begin to proclaim the goodness of God to people. And then when we proclaim the goodness of God, it's not a message of repent and you need to get saved or you're going to hell. You proclaim the goodness of God and people say, what do I need to do to have some of that? I need the goodness of God. I need to be redeemed. I'm broken. I'm lost. I'm hurting. I need what you're talking The God that I've heard about, they've told me lies. They said your God was just a religion. They said that your God had no power. They said that your God didn't create the earth. They said that your God doesn't care. They, they said that your God, how could there be a God if there's so much pain and hurt in the world? That's what they've told me, so I've just believed all this. And you begin to proclaim, no, there's a God, and he's good, and he loves you, and he wants you, and he desires you. You're his child, and he wants to fill you. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? So then Peter said, well, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I'm praying for Rampart, that that day will come. I'm praying for DCC and TCA, that that day will come. Why? Not because of our own human efforts. We become unstoppable when we partner with God. We become unstoppable when we invite the Holy Spirit to intimately dwell within us and give us that power that we need. Many of you over the last several months, I know this because I see it and I hear it in your prayers. I see you in the meetings. I see you at burn. Many of you guys over the last several months, you've developed this burning passion to see your friends and the students on your campus come to know Jesus. You've committed yourself to prayer meetings. You've committed yourselves to be a part of the campus groups. You've committed yourselves to certain things. You know, Peter, before, uh, before he was the man of courage that preached out the balconies and people came to know him, Peter did everything in his own strength. Peter was kind of a cross between a church brat and a timid sweetie. Denying Christ when, it, when the pressure was on. What was the difference? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. So here we are on a night like tonight, and you're hearing a message about the Holy Spirit. Some of you guys have been burdened to reach your campus and reach your schools, and I want to tell you two things that it will not come from. And I want to ask you to strongly consider this and to be men that desire this above all else. One, it will not come through your own strength. By you just persevering and pushing through prayer meeting after prayer meeting after prayer meeting and going to every campus group and going to, those things are good. But what's more important is that you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm not undercutting these things, but it's not by your own works. Everybody hear me. It's not in your own strength. You cannot produce revival in your own strength. It requires God. You cannot change the hearts of people and you cannot bring salvation apart from Him. So it is God that indwells you. And number two, some of you guys, I was over here by Southside. One of my dear friends, Brendan Campagna, goes to James Irwin. And he's like, I'm the only one from James Irwin here. 
And you might feel like maybe you're a part of one of those schools that's not really well represented. Some of you guys feel so blessed and encouraged because you've got all these people with you. But I want you to know this. Victory doesn't come because you have the largest army or more troops. If what is stopping you from asking God to do more is thinking this mindset of, man, before I do more, I just need more troops. I just need more people beside me. Remember the story of Gideon. God's saying, cut the fluff. Let's get rid of some of this other stuff. I need men that will surrender to me. I need men that when the Spirit of God is upon them, that they will be obedient. I need men that when the Spirit of God fills them up, that those are the violent men that take the kingdom and advance the kingdom by force. You don't need more. So if you're Brendan Companion, you're from James Irwin. Brendan Companion, what you need is not more people standing beside you. You need the Spirit of God more and more and more and more and more and more and you just desire more and more and more of him and daily when you wake up you're not asking god for just simple things you're saying god fill me with your spirit god pour out your spirit on me like you did the men of old pour out your spirit on me so that i too can become unstoppable nico here's what i want to do we've got just a few moments here what I want us to do is I just want us to pray together. And here's the prayer that I'm asking you to think about. Because if the Spirit of God comes upon you, there's something holy and anointed. There's, it's, not, it's not a trivial thing. I'm talking about the God who has all power. The God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who is unstoppable. I'm talking about that God. And you saying, God, I'm weak. And I'm frail and I know I cannot do this in my own strength. But God, I'm asking you to come and fill me. And I, just so you know, that's a mighty and that's a bold prayer. That's not a simple prayer. And it's not something that I just want you to go, yeah, I just, I want to be a superhero. No, that's not what I'm asking. Because if you ask God to infill you, the very things that happen to Paul may happen to you. It may cost you your life. But you'll be bold. The strength and the presence and the power of God will be inside of you. And I've tasted it. I've experienced it in my own life. I've seen the impossible happen. I've heard the voice of God. I've asked God to use me. I've seen broken people healed because God has spoken and used me to to do simple things in my mind. And I want to challenge some of you guys that you have a desire, you have this burning desire to see your campus change. It won't be in your own strength. And it won't be because of the army that you assemble. It'll be because of one thing, the Holy Spirit. So I want to challenge you to be people that, above all else, above anything else that you could pray, that you begin to pray this prayer, God, I want more of you. When you wake up in the morning, say, God, fill me with your spirit. God, let the spirit of God come upon me like it did so many of the other men that you've used. Because you used a guy like Peter. And when you anointed Peter and the spirit of God filled Peter, it said that everywhere he walked, his shadow was healing people. I'm talking about people that are doing supernatural things. And that same spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead can dwell in you. And what we need is more of it. What we need to be is hungry for more of it. Not hungry for more things that we can do in our own strength. We need to be hungry for more of God. More of Him.
Nothing else. There's nothing else that'll do. Nothing else to satisfy. More of him. I want my leaders to come up. Leaders, we're just going to pray a simple prayer that every student that desires more of the Holy Spirit, what I want you to do is I just want you to pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. For some of you, when the Holy Spirit fills us up, it's unpredictable. It's unpredictable like holding a jar and a torch and a trumpet. It's unpredictable. Like ripping a lion in half. It's unpredictable. Like getting stoned. (laughs) Not with drugs. It's unpredictable. I'm asking you to do something that's dangerous, but I want you to listen to this last verse. We're going to close and we're going to pray. Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power to be my witness when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to go and reach Rampart, to go and reach Air Academy, to go and reach Pine Creek. You want to know how to be a witness? The Holy Spirit. So if you're sitting here today and you know deep in your heart, man, I want to be a witness. I want to be somebody that's unstoppable, that proclaims the goodness of God all the days of my life. I want a hunger and a thirst for more of the Holy Spirit. What I want you to do is I just want you to come stand up right now and come and pray with these men. We're going to pray for that. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.